Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. And remember, we're on social media at JTime Sports, and that covers Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. And also, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the Just In Time Sports Podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Now, in this week's episode, I'll be discussing the NFL and what's going down there. I will take a look at our increasingly successful NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. We will discuss some NBA news, and then we will have our best for last. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. All righty, and welcome into the show we have a packed show we're getting into football basketball overlap the world series is happening this is going to be an absolutely packed show a crazy show to start out with because we're going to start off with the crazy game yep we're gonna jump right into that game last night what a game um did not start off the way anybody expected although looking back on it it probably should have been expected that way you had arizona with a hobble deandre hopkins um, you had Green Bay with no Devontae Adams and no Adam Lazard due to COVID-19 protocols. So the offense is being a little rusty starting out. Wasn't that big of a shock. Um, Green Bay came out with the strategy I thought they would, which is run the ball. Um, when you're missing Devontae Adams and you're missing Adam Lazard, you run the ball. They turned Aaron Jones to more of a slot receiver this game. He showed more of his dual threat ability, a la Alvin Kamara, a la Christian McCaffrey. Uh, show him his ability to be a true wide receiver, lineup and sets and stuff like that. But that was the emergence of A.J. Dillon for the Green Bay Packers. Um, I talked about it a lot. I was talking with several people who were watching the game uh, while the game was going on. And one thing I kept repeatedly saying was Green Bay has to use their size because Arizona effectively traded size for speed. Um, when you got, let me look at their offense. D-Hop D- is a big body. Christian Kirk's a fairly large receiver, but then you got guys like Rondell Moore. Chase Edmonds isn't a real big back. James Conner is a bigger back, but he's not very fast. Like the, the Arizona Cardinals have a lot of speed on their defense, but they traded a good amount of it for raw physical size. And A.J. Dillon is a tank. Um, and so when you got a guy like him coming downhill, bashing through the line, uh, fighting the line, like just keep running the ball. And I say conversely, Green Bay doesn't have a lot of speed especially on defense so spread them out thin and make sure that your speed is in space against their non-speed of essence i mean that fastest corner probably what stokes and he got absolutely destroyed on a double move with deandre hopkins it was even crazy about that is d hop did the fake with the ball in the air i've never seen that in my life like he faked it as the ball he did the double move on eric stokes as the ball was in the air so either Kyler Murray was really just throwing that away at D-Hop, or they've done that so many times where Kyler knows, put enough air under and D-Hop will adjust. I don't know. But he did the fake with the ball and air on Eric Stokes, completely burned him uh, for a massive touchdown. What makes that game interesting was both coaches did a great job of adjusting. Think about it. I mean, you go into the half 10-7. It really should have been 7-7. And, that, and, the, and the reason why... It was 10-7 instead of 7-7 was Rondell Moore made a rookie mistake. He uh, calls a fair catch near at the 10-yard line or so, and 
instead of getting away, which is what most returners do, they either run away or they make sure they get under it. He kind of half-hearted, went forward, and then last second tried to turn his try to reverse his decision and touch the ball green bay gets in on the three ultimately don't go in don't get in the end zone but they do get three points so the rest of the game arizona couldn't get closer than three they they, you know it felt like there was always like man if they have three points weren't there we would win this game um and so it ended up blooming huge later but so you go to the halftime 10-7 green bay had one good drive the whole game it was like a 14 play 70 something yard drive for a touchdown in the first half took like eight minutes off the clock arizona really didn't have any offense they had the one bomb to d hop that set up a touchdown which that play should have been touchdown but d hop was called for a face mask um you had one play that to like i said to d hop set up a touchdown that was their only real offense in the first half and so i'm again i'm talking to those same people like both offenses or both teams have an issue the Packers is a talent issue, minus Lazard and Adams, and the Cardinals have a scheme issue. They're, they're not scheming properly against this defense, and so both coaches adjusted. I mean, Green Bay didn't get more talented. Rodgers just trusted the talent more, and that was there, and Arizona adjusted their scheme, and then the second half became this back-and-forth contest between the quarterbacks. Um, and ultimately comes down to the play of the drive of the game. A very controversial call, Green Bay, Thought they scored a touchdown with Aaron Jones to basically ice it. They would have gone up 10 with three minutes left. Um, it would have put Arizona in a hell of a bind, which, again, wouldn't have been that big of a bind if the three points from the Rondell Moore punt situation, punt muff, wasn't there. Because even if Aaron Jones scores that touchdown to go up seven, well, they're just up seven. And then, you know, okay, with three minutes left, we everything's full down territory. You know, no punting. Everything's full down territory. We only got one timeout. Or two timeouts, you know, there's no way we get the ball back. We can't stop them in the whole second half, whatever. Well, because of that of that muff punt that led to a field goal, Aaron Jones' score would have put them up 10, would have put the Packers up 10. Ultimately, they, they reviewed it, said he was short. Now, I thought he was short. When it went, when first, I'm like, I, I don't see his body in the end zone. Um, and then one judge ruled it a touchdown. And I saw the replay, and I'm like, I think he's short because he his back was turned and he sat down. Now, to me, it looked like he sat down short of the goal line, but there's no angle directly down the goal line to prove, okay, yeah, his entire backside was in play. I thought, now, if you use logic, again, you think, because everyone I've heard so far this morning listening to different shows um, and even reactions last night, uh, even though it was a moot point ultimately, but even reactions last night, people kept saying, "Oh, we think he's short. We think he's short." But according to the rules, there needs to be inconclusive. There needs to be conclusive video evidence, indisputable video evidence. Kind of combine the words, indisputable video evidence that the running that the play should be overturned. There was no angle to prove that. Ultimately, though, they overturned it. That led to a Green Bay delay of game. That led to Green Bay ultimately getting another three points um no no no, they went for no fourth down green bay didn't score green bay did not score my apologies green bay did not score because they wanted to end the game they i mean they know if they scored in that situation it was two minutes left or something like that the game is over uh they get a delay of game then they go for it on fourth down and get stuffed um they didn't hand the ball off i thought they should have gave it to aj Dillon. very marshawn lynch malcolm butler moment um 
Well, they didn't hand the ball to AJ Dillon, who's been getting, who was getting every first down he wanted, every big carry he needed. Uh, through that smaller, speedier Arizona defense, they didn't hand it off. The tide to throw the ball uh, is incomplete. Okay. Analytically, I would have kicked the field goal because that would have forced Arizona to get a touchdown. Um, but hey, they decided to go for the jugular. It is what it is because they were in, Arizona's inside the half yard line, inside the one yard line. Arizona hands the ball off the first play, leads to this amazing drive. Arizona hands the ball off the first play, gets stuffed nowhere. Um, and then Kyler makes a beautiful throw, um, basically contested out of his end zone to AJ Green. And then he comes back two throws later with a, which I thought was going to be the precursor's MVP moment, drills a throw through three Packers defenders, absolutely perfect ball, um, to get him in field goal range. The Cardinals continue to work down and they get to in range of a chip shot field goal, but they're out of timeouts. It's like 15 seconds left, they're out of timeouts. In that situation, they already tried Kyler running, which I think he either jammed up his hip or jammed up his knee, I'm not sure, but he was limping around in the huddle a little bit, and they had to use timeout on that play. They used that final timeout on the play where Kyler got jammed up. If he doesn't get tripped from behind, I don't think he scores, but he gets a lot closer, and that's when you may consider some sort of outside sweep and have everybody on the other side of the field ready for a spike or something. But ultimately, he had to call time last time out. And so you're on the 10-ish yard line somewhere in there. Um, and it sets up the, 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 the final play. You know, throw a couple of shots to the end zone. If it doesn't work, you can feel going to move on with your life. Um, and then the play that I'm still confused on, and I would love some help. If you've seen the game, you know what play I'm talking about. It's the last play of the game, basically. Kyler Murray drops back. Green Bay has a free edge rusher. Green Bay basically said, we're going to send hellfire, zero coverage, blitz. We're going to blitz everybody because if, you, if we know you have to get it out quick, you can't take a sack. If you take a sack, the game's over. Basically, I mean, maybe, I mean, you might have one second or two seconds left if you get lucky. But uh, with everybody running out on the field, you know, you have to get set, spike it, all that stuff. The game's basically over, take a sack. You get tackled in bounds if you try to scramble. The game's over. So pretty much you know Kyler has to throw the ball because there's no there's no way he gets around this. You know, there's no way he figures it out in time if he gets sacked or whatever. So he the free rusher comes off the edge. Kyler sees it and does one of his famous fadeaways. He's the only player I know fadeaways in football. Fades away. Flicks it right at AJ Green's back shoulder. I mean, it, it almost hit him in the head. It, it, was, it was that perfect of a bean. It almost hit him in the head. And AJ Green is blocking. For the life of me, I cannot understand. AJ Green looks like the play was never supposed to come to him. Either he didn't know it was a pass and it was never supposed to come to him, or. It was a true, or AJ Green was right, and that side it was almost like a, it was like I'm like a RPO with no, like, mesh motion. But that doesn't make sense because if you get tackled and bounced, like I was just saying, the game's over. And anyway, AJ Green never turns around, and and the Rasul Douglas sees the ball flying, sees AJ Green's not going for it, and disengages from AJ Green, catches the interception. Indians on the game's over and Green Bay survives. 
for the light. I'm trying to figure out that logic. I can't, it doesn't make sense. There's no reason for AJ Green to even contemplate blocking there. Like that's one of those things where as a veteran player, if you think it's run, and I, and I haven't heard him explain it, I, I don't know what he said in the post conference, but even if, if you think it's run, that's when you go, wait, are you sure? Like, wait, or repeat it back to me, or what are we doing? Something. There's no way as a vet you let that play go off if you think it's run, knowing that it's 15 seconds, no timeouts, and we're losing. If, we, if you were tied, all right, it's kind of playing for overtime. I, I don't love it, but, you know, okay. You know, you think worst case scenario, we might sneak a run in, okay, get it back out, spike it, something. I don't know, but absolutely egregious uh neither quarterback played particularly well uh kyler's numbers weren't great his last drive really made it look a lot better aaron Rodgers' numbers weren't great either they had they suffered some drops last night um a lot of injuries last night kylan hill season's over um he was involved in that nasty collision um on the kickoff where the cardinals player who name i can't think of right now suffered a concussion was knocked unconscious um Kylan Hill's knee uh, was wrecked. His season's over. Robert Tanyan, I believe his season's over. I've got no official word on that right now, but I believe his season's over as well. Um, yeah, just really rough game. I say Kyler limped off the field at the end. Um, really rough game uh, last night. But the Packers are seven and one. The Cardinals are seven and one. The Rams have the opportunity to get to seven and one. Um, or six and one. The Bucks can get to six and one or seven and one this weekend too. So a lot of top teams in the NFC. It could be four one-loss teams in the NFC, um, all vying for the number one seed, which would be crucial. No one, no one wants to see Green Bay in the winter. Arizona's a warm weather dome team. They want to keep it home. LA would have the opportunity to pull it to go what Tampa Bay did last year, have home field throughout the playoffs or play the Super Bowl. Well, actually, they do better than Tampa Bay because Tampa Bay went on the road for all their playoff games. Um, LA, if they get the number one seed, would have the opportunity to go purely from the divisional to the conference to the Super Bowl and never leave LA. Um, first team to do that, it would be the first team to do that ever. And then obviously, Tampa Bay having home field advantage could keep it in warm weather, a warmer weather, and then have the opportunity to go to LA for the Super Bowl. So, you know, very interesting uh, the NFC conference right now. But we're going to shift to the what happened in week seven aha i'm so excited for this because you guys told me last week the chiefs were back and what did i say i told you quickly i don't think so yeah you look good versus the washington football team they don't a have a name b a quarterback so yes i of course you look great against them but you know i had my doubts and, um, you know, hey, but you were down 13 to 10 at one point in the game in the third quarter. And you ended up winning 31 13 or something like that. Um, and, oh, all the Chiefs supporters in big media and all the Chiefs supporters online and Chiefs supporters I talked to and Patrick Mahomes guys were, oh, the Chiefs are back. They just had a rough patch. Every, every situation goes through one. They had a rough patch. And then Sunday happened. And you, Kansas City, were embarrassed. Badly, you were beaten 27 to 3, and honestly, it felt like 40 to 3. Your defense did well against Derrick Henry, 
The problem is you sold out so much for Derrick Henry, you didn't guard anybody else. Your explosive offense, three points. Patrick Mahomes uh, didn't finish the game. Why? Because he was not in his head trying to make another great play. Ultimately didn't, was injured, and was held out the rest of the game for precautionary reasons per Andy Reid. You told me the Chiefs were back. I told you I doubt it. Update. I was right. To doubt it. The Chiefs are not back. And you hear people talking about, oh, the dynasty's dead. The dynasty's over. What dynasty? Are we talking about the AFC dynasty? Yeah. You were offsides against Brady, which allowed Brady to get to and win his last New England Super Bowl. You then proceeded to win the Super Bowl. And you proceeded to get boat raced by Tom Brady in the, in the next Super Bowl. If you're going to be perfectly honest, you shouldn't have had a first Super Bowl. You're two, you're two plays going... You're two different plays going the other direction from you not having a Super Bowl, which is a Tyreek Hill long back shoulder back throw catch. If you carried him through the zone, that doesn't happen. And Jimmy Garoppolo, which is the easiest one to fix. Emmanuel Sanders, you overshot Emmanuel Sanders by three yards. You nail that throw, you you get in the end zone, and there's no Chiefs dynasty talk. Now, Kansas City, last week I warned you that saying not one, not two, you're very LeBron-esque. We're here to win. We could have a dynasty. We're the new dynasty. I told you that was dangerous because that tends to not happen. Think about the NFL dynasties. Just think about them for a second. The 70s Steelers. The 70s Cowboys. There's two basic simultaneously. The 90s Cowboys. Three and four years. Great team. The Patriots. Three and four years. The Patriots. Three and five, three and six. These dynasties don't last very long. And actually, they have one thing in common a controlled salary at the quarterback position. Tom Brady's entire career took less. Terry Bradshaw in the 70s was deemed just another player. He took less. Roger Starback was deemed another player. They took less. Then their market value. There was no real free agency. They couldn't go anywhere. But the team offered you what they paid you. You see, Kansas City has a problem. You can't play defense like at all your offense now is dependent on magic plays because the defenses have I won't say figured it out but learn how to slow it down your run game doesn't exist now you're seeing visible frustration you're seeing guys like Travis Kelsey get frustrated you're seeing Tyree Hill get visibly frustrated Patrick Mahomes is visibly frustrated all the things they worried about about Patrick Mahomes coming out of Texas Tech are coming to fruition. Cannon of an arm. Good athlete. Baseball pass is obvious. Reckless with the ball. Poor mechanics. Both of those things are flying out right now for Patrick Mahomes. But see, you told me the Chiefs were back. My thing is back to what? The defense has progressively gotten worse, and the offense, in my opinion, is stilled out. Something's going to have to give in Kansas City. I think, personally, it should be Steve Spagnola. But they're going to have to prioritize defense in the draft. Their offense is fine. You've got Pat. You've got a solid, decent offensive line. You've got Travis Kelsey. You've got Miko Harm. You've got Tyreek Hill. Okay, your offense is good enough. 
You need good defense in the draft from Kansas City because that's what they should be looking for, draft boards. I, at this point, I don't think Kansas City makes the playoffs. The New England Patriots, speaking of somebody being back, absolutely dominant over the New York Jets. Uh, one of the things we definitely nailed in Jack's pack, I say I didn't get the line when I saw seven. Um, I, I never understood. I never understood it at all. When I saw seven, um, the, the Pats dominated. And that was a game, I'm not talking about too long, but that was a game where that was a Belichick flex your muscle game. That was a reminder game. That was a we're not dead yet game. Um, that was a game where you need it for a lot of new guys. You know, as you guys know, I'm a Patriots fan, so when I, if, I say, if I say we, I mean the Patriots. Uh, but the Pats have a lot of new faces. You got John Smith. You've got Hunter Henry. You've got... Uh, Nelson Aguilar, you've got Matt Judon, you have um, Sean Wade now is becoming active and getting on the roster. Mac Jones, obviously, is a new starting quarterback. Um, you know, you don't have a lot of holdover from the time years, and that was two years ago, but you don't have a lot of holdover at skill position at key positions. There's not a lot of holdover there. Even Stephon Gilmore's gone. JC Jackson was around, but he wasn't a main player. Um, and so you need this the Patriots culture was winning they just won and you pretty much dealt with what you dealt with if you were in new england um because you know pretty much we're gonna win <laughs> you know it, think about it. tom brady was there 20 years he was in nine super bowls and i believe in 12 afc championship games or 13 afc championship games um and so you pretty much knew okay yeah, it's a lot of crap from Bill, but we're going to win 10, 11 games in the season and have an opportunity of getting a championship. So you dealt with it. And Bill's not going to change his style. Bill's Bill. But it comes at, it comes a little differently when you're dealing with a team that's not used to, A, success at this point. Because think about it. John Lee Smith didn't win much in, in uh, Tennessee. Hunter Henry didn't win much with the Chargers. Um, Sean Wade's a rookie. He doesn't really know anything. Matt Judon was a Raven. They've been struggling to playoffs with, with success under Lamar Jackson. Um, and so you don't really have a lot of guys with a lot of innate ability and a lot of innate winning. Those, you know, It's not just something that they're used to doing. It's not something that they're used to saying, okay, we can deal with this crap because we're winning. I mean, the Patriots, honestly, they're four inches away from beating the Bucks, or four inches away from beating the Bucks, And you're two plays two separate plays from beating the cowboys and this whole season being different they could be five and two right now um instead of three and four but you know so that win in my opinion was a recruiting it was a recruiting pitch it was how we think about man why do teams in college football score a lot especially on rivals it's a recruiting pitch because a lot of times you and your rival are recruiting the same player or the same area and so if I if I'm USC and I'm UCLA and UCLA has the opportunity to blow USC out, they're gonna do it. Alabama is going to try to put up 70 on LSU. Why? Because they're even though LSU is down, they've already dismissed the coach, and you know what I'm saying they're are they're already moving to the next era. They are recruiting. It's still LSU. It's still one of the top five places to go in the country. It's still one of the top five jobs in the country um, as a coach. Bama is recruiting against them for coaches, recruiting against them for analysts, recruiting against them for graduate assistants, recruiting against them for players, recruiting them against this for anything. They're going to try and put 70 on them to assert their dominance, to try and say, hey, this is the recruiting pitch. You want to go here where we put up 70 on them, or you want to go there where they get 70 put up on them? 
Um, and so in the NFL, for Bill Belichick, that was a recruiting pitch. Like, hey, yes, we don't practice inside often. Yes, we deal with the elements. Yes, I'm a hard A coach. Yes, and yes, all these things are true. But this is what we can do when we buy in. And so that was important for him. Obviously, we know Belichick doesn't love, doesn't ha- doesn't lose any love for the Jets in any situation. So that was another added benefit. But, you know, that was something definitely that I felt like a recruiting bitch. That felt like a this is why we do what we do kind of game. Scoring 54 on, on anybody in the NFL is impressive. Only allowing 13 back is even more impressive. Um, hopefully, Zach Wilson's okay. He had a minor uh, PCL sprain in his knee out two to four weeks. So, Mike White is the starting quarterback for the Jets um, going forward. At least he is this week. Uh, I believe they traded for Joe Flacco, if I remember correctly. So, we'll see how that what happens next week. But uh, as of, they did trade for Joe Flacco from the Eagles. And um, we're going to see Mike White this Sunday for the Jets. Possibly Flacco next Sunday. But Mike White will be the guy this Sunday. The Bengals. Hot damn those Bengals. I told you. I told you. I told you. I told you. I freaking told you. I told you. And now everybody wants to join the bandwagon. I told you. This is my time to gloat. I told you. This is my big I told you moment. I told all of you. I was laughed at. I was ridiculed. I was joked about. People thought I was insane. I told you. I told you before the season started, I said the Bengals are going to win 10 games and make the playoffs. Why? Because I thought, I said, the team is good. I said, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase love each other. The offensive line had improvements. It's not great, but they did. They are better than people gave them credit for. I was like, it's another year of Zach Taylor. I was like, he gave me Cliff Kingsbury vibes where I know offense. I just have to get used to the whole head coach NFL thing. Um, And I said, the schedule lined up. Well, they made moves in free agency, so they never do. They signed a Trey Henderson. They signed somebody. They signed a couple other people. And then I said the schedule, the way it bounced, they would have a winnable game or a couple of winnable games before or after a tough game. So the Bengals, in my opinion, are should be 7-0. The reason why is Burrow doesn't throw three picks of the Bears. They beat the Bears. And... The field goal kicker missed two field goals in overtime, or they beat the Packers. So in theory, they should be seven and zero, but they're not. They're five and two, still leading, uh, still leading the conference. I told you all, the Bengals absolutely wrecked the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore in M&T Bank Stadium. Wrecked them. Jamar Chase for two hundred and one yards. Uh, he has the record for the most receiving yards in through seven games in NFL history. Nobody has over 700. He has cleared 740 something. Uh, Joe Burrow is absolutely rolling. Um, the defense showed up, put a pretty good game plan up against Lamar, really slowed him down. Um, he had a couple of big moments, including a couple of nice runs. He had a beautiful throw to Hollywood Brown for a touchdown. Um, but the Bengals are real. Now, are they Super Bowl champion level real? I don't think so. Um, and mainly because of the defense. Usually, I mean, their defense is solid. It's solid. I don't trust it just yet. They don't They don't get consistent pressure, um, which is something you're going to need to be able to do to me when the Super Bowl is sent is get pressure in your normal defense. So, like, for Tampa, their normal defensive pressure is Devin White's coming in, too. So, they're usually a five-man pressure team. Um, 
if you rush four, get home before. If you're a blitzing style team like, like Baltimore's in a very aggressive style defense, then okay, they're fine sending hellfire all the time. Oh, uh, but ten, but Cincinnati doesn't get consistent pressure, so that's maybe why I would stop short of a Super Bowl contender. But they're five and two for a reason, right? And they just boat raced Baltimore, and so the Bengals can play. The Bengals are real. Joe Burrow has making a hell of a case for comeback player of the year. We just automatically assume it's gonna be Dak. We did. I mean, we would figure you know Dak could come back and somebody else can MVP, similar to Adrian Peterson and Peyton Manning that year. Um, they gave, I think they gave Peyton comeback and Adrian Peterson MVP because they both deserved. They both deserved MVP. Uh, I don't think we're in that kind of situation between Burrow and Dak because I don't think Burrow's in anybody's MVP discussion, although he kind of should be. Um, but I think you give, you know, if Dak ultimately wins MVP, Burrow probably gets comeback player of the year, that sort of thing. You know, they kind of split the award up. But it's a race for kind of player of the year now. Uh, people assume it's going to be Dak, like I said, but Burrow towards ACL, he had to come back as well. Didn't miss a game this season. And looking great. Like I said, they're 5-2 and two right now in the AFC and leading the AFC. The Cincinnati Bengals are leading the AFC. What a time. And I called it. That's all I want. I want my credit. I want my credit. But, hey, it's a lot of season left. So They've only played seven games. All right, they got ten left. So, we're going to see what happens. And Carson Wentz um, played well against the 49ers. Uh, again, I'm a Wentz guy. They got a huge game against Tennessee. We'll talk about that more a little later uh, this week. But very good game. He had the one inexplicable flick turnover thing. I don't know what that was about. Um, I don't even. I that made that almost AJ Green level. What in the world is this? Um, it made no sense. But in a monsoon, he played well. Made a couple of big throws. Was helped out a lot. Uh, utilized the 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 inability to stop getting personal foul pass interference calls by the 49ers to really use that against them. Uh, so good job by Frank Wright, Carson Wentz, and Jimmy Grappolo Country Days in San Fran. It's over, bud. Just wanted to let you know. A uh, little news. Quick little news. Uh, Deshaun Watson reportedly has waived his no trade clause and agreed in principle to go to the Miami Dolphins. Also agreed in principle there is a trade between the Houston Texans and the Miami Dolphins. Um, in principle, that is done. Um... But obviously there is hesitation because the, the exact details are not worked out, A. And B, we don't know what Watson's status is going to be. The commissioner came out and said they don't have enough information to put him in the exempt list. Kind of wink, wink, hint, hint that he's not going to go on the exempt list this year. Uh, which is why Stephen Ross wants to pull the trigger for the Dolphins. Now, the Dolphins would not make the playoffs. If they trade for two, if they trade for Deshaun Watson... They're not making the playoffs, um, in my opinion, because it's, it's like he's a quarterback. So it's going to take him at least two weeks to get up to speed. We don't know how good of a shape he's in. So if you trade for him, let's say you play Sunday, you win. Okay, you're two and six, two and five, two and six, something like that. It's going to take Deshaun Watson two games more, at least, to get caught up to speed on the Dolphins terminology. And that's to even get somewhat caught up to speed. We saw what Cam looked like confused for his first. He had a month. Uh, and then his first two or three games, he was looking rough. So we don't know how good a shape Deshaun's in. Um, we don't know, you know, how long it takes to acclimate him. This season's lost for Miami. If I'm the Dolphins, I wait until the draft, and I may end up with multiple. Well, they don't have a first-round pick, I don't believe. No, they gave it away. Uh, no, they do have a first-round pick. I don't know. But if I'm the Dolphins, I wait to see how the draft shakes out. Um, and then I go from there in terms of negotiations with um, 
the uh, with the Dolphins and the Texans. Tua Tagovailoa came out and said he doesn't feel wanted, which admittedly kind of makes sense. I mean, if I'm going through what he's going through, I probably say, look, they don't want me either. Get me out of here. Uh, so Tua with uh, that interesting tidbit at the microphone saying he doesn't feel wanted, which is something odd to say at the front of the microphone. It's brutally honest. I wouldn't have said it. Um, I mean, I would have I thought it. You know, I mean, it's a couple minutes ago, but it's something I would have said. Now, I probably would have said I would have thought it. I wouldn't have said it, though. Um, and so Tua's situation in Miami, in my opinion, whether you get Watson or not, has to end this season. It has to be over. Uh, there's no way you do that another year. Um, I never really believed in Tua. Now, Tua seems to not believe in himself or believing that the team believes in him. So you've got to move on from that situation. Mark Ingram, little homecoming, little reunion. Mark Ingram has been traded back to the New Orleans Saints. Um, he, Alvin Kamara, several other Saints players rejoiced getting Mark Ingram back into the locker room, uh, back on the team. So that'll be huge for them. Melvin Ingram, the Pittsburgh Steelers edge rusher, uh, formerly of the Los Angeles Chargers, has once out of Pittsburgh due to playing time. Um, I don't know why he left LA. I was confused by that, but he went to Pittsburgh and now he went out of Pittsburgh, uh, due to playing time. J.J. Watt is presumably out for the rest of the regular season uh, thanks to impending shoulder, shoulder surgery, excuse me, um, and that it, he will be expected to miss three months, which will knock him out the rest of the regular season. But it will put him on track to possibly return in the playoffs. So that'll be interesting to see there. And Baker Mayfield is dealing with a ton of injury. Um, he has a hurt shoulder. It's basically broken and torn, I believe. So he's dealing with a couple of injuries and a couple of different serious injuries in his shoulder that will require uh, surgery after the season. But he's going to try and play through it. Uh, I believe it has to do a lot with him not having a contract and the fact that Case Keenum didn't look half bad uh, Sunday. And they play Pittsburgh, I believe, this Sunday. So if Keenum wins that game, that's going to create a lot of situations, a lot of media narratives, a lot of talking in the Cleveland area about just how much better Baker Mayfield is than a guy like Case Keenum and how much he should be paid on a contract. But up next, we're going to shift to week eight of the NFL this current week, this current Sunday and Monday, and talk about what's going down there. Welcome back into the show, and now we're going to jump into week eight of the NFL season, but before we do, I just got a little update on Kylan Hill, uh, who's, who was part of that big collision last night um, for the Packers, the rookie running back out of Mississippi State, who was returning the kick. Uh, he suffered a 20 ACL, uh, which is pretty much what I expected. I was maybe I thought it's a little MCL damage or a couple of tendons maybe, but uh, a torn ACL, his season is over. Um, but he is expected to be fully ready to go uh, for next season. So, um, then the other guy in the collision uh, had a concussion, uh, no neck damage as far as I know, but he did suffer a concussion, um, pretty serious concussion. He's I expect him to be out for a couple of weeks. But we have some big, big games this week, including a few division monsters. We're gonna start off with the Browns and the Steelers. Now you're probably thinking, well, there's no Baker. Why is this game big? This game is big because there's no Baker. 
You see, I touched on it a few minutes, a couple of minutes ago, and I'm going to jump back into it. Case Keenum played well for the Cleveland Browns. He executed the game plan, didn't do anything crazy, made a couple of big throws when he had to play well enough where several media members, including myself, went, hmm, that's interesting. The left tackle, Dredrick Wills, went, no, that was no drop-off. Nope. No drop-off. To the point, this ticked off so many Browns people and people in the media that Dredrick Wills had to ultimately walk the comments back. The difference between Case Keenum and Baker Mayfield is not massive. I mean, it's a difference. Baker's better. I, I want to insult Baker and be like, oh, Baker and Case Keenum are the same quarterback. He's not. They're not. No. God, no, they're not. But in a situation similar to what Baker's in now, Case Keenan went 11-3, and got the back into the playoffs, and beat the Saints in the playoff game. So Case Keenan's not bad. Looking at it number-wise, with no Nick Chubb, no Kareem Hunt, Case Keenan actually put up comparable, if not slightly better, numbers to Baker Mayfield this season. Baker's averages versus Keenum's last game, and Keenum's running back was Dearness Johnson. Against a very capable Denver defense. And that is why I talk about Baker and $40 million or $35 million or any massive amount of money. I can't do it. He's effectively an overqualified backup quarterback. Case Keenum is a low-end NFL starter. Baker Mayfield is an average NFL starter. How do you lose in this league? You pay good, great money. You pay average, great money. You lose every time Ask the Dallas Cowboys. They're finally on kind of a roll. And that's because they started shedding off some of those good players on great contracts. You know what I'm saying? Hey, Jalen Smith, for his position value, he was an above-average linebacker. He was getting paid slightly below great money for the position. That can't work. Demarcus Lawrence, since he's gotten paid, has been an average, at best, pass rusher. He's getting paid great money. That's not going to work. Dak Prescott is a good quarterback. He's a, he's a very good quarterback. On the low end of grade, if you give it to him, he's getting paid great money. Zeke has been an average running back the last three years. Or he's playing pretty good this year. He's getting paid great money. That's how you lose games. And so the Browns situation is with Baker Mayfield. He's good. I want to talk to him about saying he's not good. He can play. But he's not $40 million good. Ain't no way on this earth I'm paying Baker Mayfield $40 million. So this is a huge game for the Browns organization. Case Keenum goes out there, 22 of 30, 265 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Browns win 24-20. There's going to be several people, including myself here next Friday, and on the other show I do as well on Sunday mornings on YouTube, there's going to be several people questioning, is Baker really the guy in Cleveland? The Romans are already started. Based on his poor performances and now his increased injury history. The, the, the rumblings have started. But if Case Keenum beats the Denver Broncos, then turns right back around and beats the Steelers, there's going to be loud rumblings, especially if Case Keenum plays well. There will be loud rumblings about Baker Mayfield's necessity to the Cleveland Browns' future. Baker doesn't want that. He knows that. Because in Cincinnati, it's the week after that. Baker does not want those those media problems. The last thing he needs is a, is a local media to turn on him. It's a death nail. I said it about it. It was wrong. I live in Baton Rouge. I heard how the news talked about him right after the UCLA game. I looked at my fiance. I said, it's over. 
And you say, what do you mean? I said, it's over. When you lose the local media and the local media feels free enough to, th- to thrash you like that, it's over. A month and a half later, it was announced Ed Ogeron was leaving the program. Like, I'm not going to say Baker Mayfield won't be the Browns quarterback next year. Because who knows what Cleveland's going to do? They feel like the uh, guy who didn't get a lot of girls in high school and finally just went to like him. But I would think long and hard before handing over $40 million a year. Long and hard. Long, I spoke about it last week. Long and hard. There's no way. No way I give Baker May- Mayfield $40 million a year. I strongly, I, I contemplate 32 and a half. You got to have to make decisions, Cleveland. Big decisions. Choose wisely. Patriots at Chargers. This one's intriguing. This one's really intriguing. Why? The Chargers got ramrodded, boat raced, thrashed, smacked around, kicked around, beat on, punched on. It was bad. What what happened to them in Baltimore? In the same stadium when Cincinnati turned right around and did it to Baltimore. The Chargers got done in um, on national television by the Baltimore Ravens. It was embarrassing. Um, And then they had a bye week. Patriots, we talked about the Patriots. They lost the heartbreak of the Tampa. Lost the heartbreak of the Dallas. It, it was about to start getting to the point where the new free agents say we're going to start prepping for vacation. And then they go in and thrash the Jets. Brutalize the Jets. 54-13. Still throwing the ball with two minutes left in that game. And then they fly to LA. Chargers won a bye week. So Brandon Staley had two weeks to prep for the Patriots offense. You know, I don't know who's their OC, but he had two weeks trying to figure out this Patriot defense. Great coaches off a bye win. Period. Bill Belichick, Sean Payton, Andy Reid, John Harbaugh, Mike Tomlin. You give them a bye week, they're going to beat you. I mean, probably combined, they're above 70% in post-bye week situations. Brandon Staley's the first-year head coach. Smart as a whip. Uh, very, very looks like a guy you could follow. Smart as a whip, doesn't like a yellow rush screamer. Defensive guy, smart. Trust the hell out of Justin Herbert. Looks like he got his head on straight as a coach. How does he do coming out of a bye week? Because you're not just going against anybody out of your first bye week. You're going against Bill Belichick out of your first bye week. Um, the offense for New England seems to be uncorking a little bit. They're doing a lot more of the two tight end, where the second tight end, who's the athlete has more freedom. He's at running back. He's at receiver. He's at tight end. He's moving around around the field. Uh, similar to what the Patriots do with Aaron Hernandez. They're doing with Jonu Smith. Now Hunter Henry's taking the Gronk routes. So the offense is looking similar to what he did in those, in that time. But it's interesting to me how the Patriots will play this game and how the Chargers play this game. The Chargers, do you want to blitz? Well, the ball's coming out fast. So if you want to blitz, you may give up one-on-one big plays. Or do you want to sit back and make Matt dink and dunk you, which he's perfectly comfortable doing? If you're the Patriots, how do you want to play Justin Herbert? That kid's got a cannon. Do you want to just give him stuff underneath and make him dink and dunk you down the field? Hope for a mistake? Or do you want to try and make him make decisions fast as a young quarterback? Very interesting game. Very big game for both teams. For the Chargers, you're trying to keep pace with... uh, Trying to keep in front of Kansas City, in front of, of Vegas, uh, who's winning football games. You're trying to keep in front of those two. And for New England, you're trying to keep up with the wild card in the AFC. The division's gone. 
Buffalo has a division. Just move on from that dream. You're not getting that dream. Buffalo has a division. But you're trying to keep up with Kansas City trying to get back into the mix. Um, someone's going to win the division on Indianapolis and Tennessee. The other team probably going to have a good chance at the uh, wild card. Or in theory, that's two of your spots. Vegas is playing really well. Um, and then the AFC North has their contingent of Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Baltimore. Someone's going to win the division. The other two teams are going to be fighting for, or the other three teams are going to be fighting for the playoff spots. So it's going to—it's a big game for standing. It's a big game for seeding. Uh, keep our eye on that one. For our second big division game, it's Bucks and Saints. Now this was a huge thing for Saints fans. Like I said, I live in Baton Rouge, so I know a lot of Saints fans. And they were huge. They were trash talking the Bucks because they blew them out in the first game. Uh, when Brady first game as a Buck was on the road in New Orleans, even though it was empty due to COVID, and it was still on the road in New Orleans. Uh, Brady looks pretty old, throws two picks, Saints win. Then they play all the way down the season. They come like week 11 or 12, 38 to 3. Absolute destruction. Saints blow them out again. So at this point, the Saints fans are riding high. We're not losing to the Bucks. Uh, Tom Brady, you know, they all the Tom Brady jokes. Oh, he was just because he was in the AFC East all those years. Now he's in the South. Now he's going to learn, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then the playoffs happened and Brady beat them. Not only did he beat them, he retired Drew Brees. That was Drew Brees' last game. Um, and close, in my opinion, slammed the Super Bowl window shut for the Saints. Um, and now we're looking at they're coming into this season. No Drew Brees, Jameis Winston. No, oh, it's my first season with this team. No, it's my second, and we just won the Super Bowl. I'm interested to see how this game goes. Now, I think um, Tampa's going to win it. Um, I have them winning it by 10 or 14. I just don't see how the Saints offense puts up very many points. Now, Tampa doesn't have a secondary right now, but, I mean, I'm not afraid of anybody on the Saints receiving court. I'm not afraid of Jameis Winston. So, I know Jameis probably going to come out a little over-emotional for this game. So I expect that. And like I said, I would uh, pick the Bucks by 10 or 14 in this game. It's not in my Jacks pack. I didn't love it, um, so I stayed away from it. But um, if you're going to bet this game, bet the Bucks to cover. Um, I expect them to win this game. I think it would be a very emotional game for Jameis Winston. Um, very energetic, very hype. I think the game in Tampa is going to be even more that way. But I expect this game to be very um, – Energetic, very emotional for Jameis, and may lead to his downfall. So I have the Bucks winning that game by 10 or 14. The Tennessee Titans and the Indianapolis Colts. That is, this is a humongous game. In my opinion, this is effectively the AFC South Championship. There's no such thing as a division championship game, although I really think there should be. But the AFC South Championship game. Because right now, the the Titans sit two games above the Colts. And they've already beaten the Colts. If the Titans win this game, they go up three games against the Colts and the tiebreaker. So effectively, you're four games up on somebody in your division. That pretty much ends the division race. I mean, at that point, the Titans would be 6-2. and two, uh, The Colts would be 3-4. and four, um, Struggling, scrambling, trying to make the playoffs. Uh, make it competitive when hard knocks comes through. But conversely, Colts win this game. They eliminate the Titans tiebreaker, and they're only a game back. So then it would get very, very interesting for this division race. It puts a lot of pressure on that Tennessee Titans organization uh, to continue to be successful because then the Colts at that point will be right behind them. So it's different when you're front running, when you know, okay, I got space. I'm not worried. You know, we lose the game. 
darn, but we're still going to win the division. Lose this game for Tennessee, and the Colts have all the momentum in the world. They have all the confidence in the world. They love Carson Wentz. They're supporting Carson Wentz, who's having a, giving them a great support back. 13 touchdowns, three picks. Um, or, no, one, one interception. Sorry, he only has one. I, I thought James Wentz that popped in my head. 13 touchdowns, three picks. Uh, Carson Wentz only has one interception this year. And you see a lot of faith in him. Frank Wright talks about, oh, we're seeing the good Carson Wentz. We're seeing the Philadelphia Eagle confident Carson Wentz. The Wentz he saw in 2017, he said he's seeing it now in terms of how he's carrying himself and stuff like that. And so this is a big game. This is a game, like I said, I talked about culture buy-in. This is a game um, that Colts win, and it's up from here. It's we can be anybody. Let's go do this. Let's go win this division. Titans win this game. Titans feel like we got this. We're running on to the playoffs, and the Colts are back scrambling. So this is a huge game in terms of culture building. Um, Brian Flores has announced that barring injury, Tua Tagovailoa is the quarterback for the Dolphins the rest of the season, which takes them out of the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes, in my opinion, because you're not trading for Deshaun Watson. He's planning on icing him, um, which doesn't make a lot of sense. And so uh, if you are Tua, I think you rest a little comfortably because your coaches gave you a pretty solid endorsement. It was a massive endorsement, but it was pretty solid nonetheless, um, saying that you are the start of the rest of the season, barring injury. And so um, that is something where he can breathe just a little easier for right now and just go out and focus on playing football um, and go out there and produce for the team. So that is a little bit of breaking news into the show. Um, And then the Cowboys and Vikings is interesting because of Dak Prescott's injury. If Dak goes, Cowboys win the game and probably cover. If Dak cannot go or cannot finish, then the, I picked the Vikings to win this game, and they make lives very interesting in the NFC in terms of the wild card race, because there's really only one or two teams that um, really has a shot at the wild card race. It's the NFC West teams, in perfect honesty. Nobody out of the NFC East is coming out besides the Cowboys. The NFC North is currently Packers a bust. The NFC West, the Seahawks are out. The 49ers are probably going to be out. So that leaves the Rams and the Cardinals. Whoever doesn't win that. And then the NFC South has the Bucks and the Saints. So if the Vikings win this game over the Cowboys, that enters them into a very, very small uh, wild card bubble. So that'll be interesting to see there. But up next, we're going to shift to our increasingly successful back-to-back great week, uh, Jack's Pack, which is our NFL betting segment. Alrighty, guys, welcome back into the show. And now we're going to jump into our, like I said a couple times already, increasingly successful. I'm trying to make you guys money here. Increasingly successful uh, with Jack's pack, all odds provided by ESPN.com. Um, I usually pull them Thursday night, so they're the freshest odds I can get um, before the show starts. 
but if you get a number similar to these, uh, if, if a number is close, I'll tell you guys, oh, you know, I'm saying if a number is four and a half, I wouldn't touch it at four. But I, you know, whatever, you know, you know, stuff like that. So if a number is close, if I, if I got 14 and your number 13 and a half, but I'm saying I'm going to cover the 14, then you're pretty much safe at 13 and a half. Uh, that sort of thing. Uh, use your judgment. Obviously, but I'm trying to make you guys money here. So all, like I said, all odds are provided by ESPN. I like I said, I pulled them Thursday night, but two weeks ago we went five and zero. Last week we went four and one. That brings our total record this year to twenty and fifteen, which makes us fifty-seven percent, which is just about what you need to be a professional gambler. Uh, I heard on a few shows, a few gambling shows, that professional gamblers aim. For about 57 percent um uh, to be a professional gambler you need to hit about 57 percent um and so we are at uh 57 percent right now and we're gonna try and continue this streak i feel good about the numbers this week not great so in the past couple weeks i haven't felt great about the numbers i feel good about the numbers and we've hit uh 90 of the picks over the past two weeks like i said we're 57 percent on the year 20 to 15 and so let's continue that streak let's continue what we're doing here let's continue the positive energy and with our favorite number of the week we have bills minus 14 over the dolphins uh two we just announced as the starter but the last time these two teams played it was an absolute destruction. Uh, now, that was Jacoby Brissett. That was not two. I believe Tua got hurt in that game. Um, but I don't see how, even with Tua, it goes much differently. I've got Buffalo covering the 14, uh, swallow the 14 points. I know it's a big number, but hey, we've been hitting on our big numbers fairly well this year. Swallow the 14, Buffalo wins that game. Bengals at Jets. Jets plus 10 and a half. Take the Bengals. Now, this one worried me. I know it's my second number, second favorite number of the week. This one worried me because the Bengals just had a very, very emotional victory over Baltimore. You know, that was a game organizationally that was like a whew, game because they had lost to the Ravens five times in a row. All of them blowouts. Um, the Ravens have won like nine out of ten or something like that against them previously. And they went on the road into Baltimore and crushed the Ravens. So now you go on the road to the Jets. The Jets have one win over a Tennessee Titans team. They didn't have either of their starting receivers, and they barely won that game. Um, this is a situation where the Bengals could fall into a trap here. Probably if this number was 12 or 13, I wouldn't touch it. But 10 and a half, I like it. So we're going to go with the Bengals to cover the 10 and a half and to beat the Jets um, 30 to 17. Jags at Seahawks. Seahawks minus three and a half here. Take the Jags. Look, Gino, we saw what happened last week with Gino Smith. They don't trust him to throw the ball. He had he went 12 or 22 for a buck 20 something. And guess what? He had 80 something yards on one throw to DK Metcalf. 84, I think. So he had 11 completions for 45 yards the rest of the game. Um, if I'm Jacksonville, I just press man coverage and I make Gino Smith beat us. He was under pressure a lot against New Orleans and folded a little bit. And so if I'm Jacksonville, I know if I'm Jacksonville, I'm actually in a good spot here. Here's why. The Seattle Seahawks have a Jamal Adams problem. What do you mean? He's not good in coverage. Jacksonville wants to bomb away. I mean, they got a lot of receivers, a lot of speed. Trevor has that big arm. They want to fire. They want to spread you out and fire. 
if they can get Jamal Adams some coverage situations, they may end up scoring a good amount of points in the Seattle defense. Now, it's in Seattle. It's cross-country travel. It's a rookie quarterback against the 12th man. A lot of things are not in Jacksonville's favor here, but I've got faith in the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, I think they had a bye week last week, so they're coming off a bye. We're going to see just how, again, when I talked about good coaches earlier with Brandon Staley and how Andy Reid, Sean Payton, Mike Tomlin, John Harbaugh, Bill Belichick, you could pretty much put up the W after the bye. And now we're going to get Urban Meyer's first NFL opportunity after a bye week. He's done it in college. He's done it successfully in college, but that's when he used to have better players and everyone else. This time he's at a talent, slight talent disadvantage. So we're going to see how he does after this bye week in Seattle versus Pete Carroll, who's coming under a little fire. But I've got faith in the Jags to keep it closer than a field goal and a half. Um, so I've got Jacksonville at worst against the spread. I'm not prepared to pick them out outright, but I think this game might end up being something similar to 20 to 17, which would give the Jags the barely victory. If it's three, don't touch it. If you see somewhere where it's three, don't touch it. If it's four, go for it. Three and a half, go for it. But uh, four, definitely go for it. But three and a half, uh, go for it. I've got the Seahawks winning this game 20 to 17, but the Jags will cover. Giants at Chiefs. Is my fourth favorite number of the week. Chiefs minus nine and a half. Take the Chiefs. Now, you're probably thinking, well, Justin, you just, in the first segment, you gave us a whole, the Chiefs aren't back. You gave us all kind of Chiefs slander. Even said they wouldn't make the playoffs. I agree. Those things did not change in the 30 minutes since I said them. However, the Giants stink. They're horrible. They are terrible. And guess what Patrick Mahomes has heard all week? People like me saying that he's not very good, or the team's not very good. He's great. He's amazing. But the team's not very good, and they have a chance of not making the playoffs. He's heard it all week. He's had no choice. The Giants are terrible, even against the Chiefs defense. Here's the thing. I think the Chiefs are going to score 35, 38. In order for the Giants to keep this closer than 9.5, they have to get to 28. I don't see that happening. I've gotten the Chiefs 35 or 38, somewhere in there. 38, I'm going to go with 38, 22, 23, 38, 24, probably my score, um, which would cover the 9.5. I just don't see the Giants scoring many points. To be honest, this game wouldn't shock me if it's 31-10 or something like that, 31-13. I just, I just don't see how the Giants score a lot of points here. Uh, it's going to be a night game in Arrowhead, Monday night, primetime television. The whole world's going to be watching and waiting on the impending Chiefs collapse. I don't think the Chiefs lose that game. I think they blow them out in the ended by halftime. Uh, Chiefs win. And then Rams minus 14 and a half at Texans. Take the Rams. The Texans are a cesspool. Um, the Rams are, have Super Bowl aspirations and realize that they can climb. Uh, they have a good chance at the first seed. I mean, they always had a good chance at the first seed. Now they have a really good chance at the first seed. Now that Arizona's taking their first loss. Um, and so I think Arizona... Uh, the Rams, rather, are going to absolutely annihilate the Texans. It won't be competitive. Um, it'll be over by the second quarter. It's going to get brutal um, for Houston. But the Rams are going to dominate that game, cover the 14 and a half. So just to recap, Bills minus 14 over Dolphins. Uh, Jets, my, or Bengals, rather, minus 10 and a half over the Jets. Jags plus three and a half over the Seahawks. Chiefs minus nine and a half over the Giants. Rams minus 14 and a half over the Texans. Now up next, we're going to shift to the NBA and talk about what's going down there.
welcome back into the show and now we're gonna shift to the nba and what's going down there it's good what's wild about that is i actually had wrote a topic and um, no longer applies well, i mean we're gonna still talk about the team just gonna switch up the angle a little bit but now we're gonna shift to the powers that be and the rusty start for the los angeles lakers um I figured their issue would be age. And you just something about someone saying, oh, this is the oldest roster in the history of the sport really got to me. Um, and they came into the season injured. THT's out. Trevor Reese is out. Kendrick Nunn's out. So two of the very more important young legs aren't playing. They're injured. So you put on a lot of more older guys. And then LeBron gets fallen into again. On the right ankle, again, uh, not as bad. Not as bad as Solomon Hill. This one's more just a precautionary sprain. If it was a playoff game, he probably played through it. Um, and so that left Russ, and pretty much Russ to his own device with the ball. Because as great as Anthony Davis is, he cannot facilitate an offense. That's not his role. He's an amazing player. That's not him. Um, and so that left Russ to his own devices with the ball in his hand, and uh, it was rough to say the least. Um, against San Antonio, they probably should have lost, but they survived. Russ and Andy Davis had amazing stat lines, and you know, that was why they got Russell Westbrook there. When LeBron rests, or LeBron sits out a couple of games with an injury or something like that, you can win games against eh, teams over, you know when LeBron's not there because that was the issue in Cleveland both times and Miami and even LA LeBron would miss a game you would lose that game I mean that's or you would go if he he missed that extended stretch last season the Lakers went from like the third seed to the eighth seed or the ninth seed by the time he got back and he was and he's only out for two three weeks but they fell the bottom fell out of the season basically and so you get a guy like Russell Westbrook there another bona fide superstar you don't lose to the San Antonio Spurs, and you definitely do not lose to the Oklahoma City Thunder. The winless Thunder. I am young. I am 24 years old. The entire starting five for the Thunder is younger than me. And yet, thanks to a quadruple double, including turnovers from Russell Westbrook, the Thunder come back from 26 points down against the Lakers and win that game. Was a Westbrook didn't see the very end of that game because he got ejected for getting his second technical foul, for getting in the face of Darius Baisley, for stealing an inbound and dunking it with the game already decided. You have a small Russell Westbrook issue. I won't call it a problem. I will not call it a problem. Here's why. I have history on my side. LeBron James teams when he formed big, a new big three genuinely start slow. You saw what happened in Miami. They were nine and eight, famously nine and eight in the first 17 games. And LeBron goes up to Pat Riley. I want Spolster out of here. Pat Riley said, you get out of here. And we know the rest of that story in Miami. When he goes back to Cleveland, they don't start off very well there. Um, there's interesting mix of how to make it work with Love and Kyrie and LeBron. Ultimately, LeBron scapegoes David Blatt. Blatt's out. After the season, even though they made the finals and probably if Kyrie doesn't get hurt, probably win the championship, but they're out. Um, you know, what's this? Uh, David Blatt's out. And then he, but by the time they heat up and then he goes to the Lakers 
Uh, you know, and now it's starting off slow again. But look at Russell Westbrook's history. He got to Houston. It was slow for three months, and then it was really, really great for three months. In Washington, it was slow for three months or two months, and it was really, really great for the rest of the rest of the season. You're in the slow part. It's good. It takes Russell Westbrook. Teams eventually have to adapt to Russ. Houston fought it, traded it, click a pillar. Washington Follett went small. So I wonder if Russell Westbrook's style is going to force Frank Vogel to basically sit DeAndre Jordan and Dwight Howard. So where I was saying, man, with those two, you've got 48 minutes of legit center play. I said, but even though Anthony Davis probably going to finish the five, that gives you 40 minutes of legit center play. Dwight Howard plays 24 minutes. DJ plays 16 minutes. Anthony Davis plays the other eight minutes at center. And you have... 48 minutes of elite level center play. That's what I'm thinking, right? Not as elite as like a Philly or, you know, because where they have Drummond and Embiid, et cetera. But, you know, you have 48 minutes, your five problems solved. Russell Westbrook may take those DeAndre Jordan and Dwayne Howard minutes combined from 40 to maybe 30. And then force Anthony Davis to play a lot more five than he wants because you're going to need somebody to get out of Russell's way because no one's getting the paint. Because Russ can't shoot, so his man's foot's in the paint. The center's feet's in the paint. And the Davis man pretty much feet in the paint. So you've got LeBron staring at three defenders plus his own all around the painted area. He's not getting there. LeBron's the best shooter on the floor. So you're going to have to take a center off the floor, put a shooter on the floor. Russell Westbrook is a great basketball. He's an amazing player. And I do think the Lakers' big three figure this out and they make a hell of a run at the title. But his style makes you play his way because he's not going to play any other way. He doesn't know what it's like to not go 130 mile an hour. That's a foreign concept. Don't even bring it up. You're insulting him. He, he, he It's not possible in his psyche not to go 200 mile an hour through that brick wall. I mean, that's just, that's just what it is. He sees the brick wall coming and his answer instead of going around it is to go through it. And that's just how he plays. It's him. It's what makes it. It's what made him the triple double king. You know, the only player to have a triple double twice in a career. He's done four out of the last five years. He's close to averaging one nine to eighteen ninety nine. Um, it also what's led him to being first or second in turnovers eight of the last ten years as well. It's who he is. It's his greatest strength, and it's his greatest curse. Um running head first through that brick wall at 200 mile an hour because you have no idea what's on the other side of that brick wall instead of taking a chance to realize oh i can just go around it or i can go over it he just goes through it and figures out what's on the other side later and so like i say it's his biggest strength and it's his biggest weakness conversely you see a guy like buddy hill just nailed seven threes you see a guy like can save his call with pope just went raining from three and the lakers are a non-shooting at this point non-defensive team uh, before that game against Oklahoma City Thunder, they were 230 and 0. If they led a game as a franchise at any point by 25 points, they are now 230 and 1. Um, the Lakers have given up 115 points every single of their one games of the first five. First time in team history they've ever done that. So this team that's supposed to be built on defensive IQ and defense, or can't play defense, and they can't shoot. So you didn't even get a surprise on the offense. You got a non-shooting, non-defensive team at the moment. And LeBron's already had his first minor scare of the season. So if you are wondering 
what is happening um what is happening with the lakers they're not playing defense and they are not um performing well at all um they're gonna have to figure something out on the nets side of things on the other power that be they have a james harden whistle problem James Harden, his entire career, especially the last eight years, has been the free throw king. And because he's been the free throw king, it has changed how people are even willing to attempt to defend him. They won't reach because he sticks his arms through and gets a three-point shooting foul. They won't really attack him going to the basket because he's seeking contact to get an and one. Um, They won't try to rip it from behind because if he sees your swipe, he's going to swing his arms up, even if you hit him, and make it look like it's a foul. Several things he does, he he at one point stopped going around screens to score. He would go around screens to draw a three-point shooting foul. If you run around a screen fast, you chase fast, he stopped, jumped back, got three free throws. If you came around the screen slow or even hedged it or grabbed the screener, he'd run into the pile, throw his arms up, free throws. And so now, with the NBA rule change... Some people, when they first came out, was like, oh, this is the Trey Young rule. The only Trey Young rule I saw was the jump back because that was Trey Young's move. He would come around the screen, you would chase fast, and he would pick out the corner of his eye, see you, stop in the middle of the lane, and jump back into you to shoot like a little push floater to draw the foul. More than likely, it was and one. Um, and then there's the Chris Paul rule where Chris Paul is good for running up the court on a fast break, cutting in front of you, and stop dribbling. Uh, stick his butt out, and that way you you run over the back of him. Easy foul. Um, pretty much the rest of them with James Harden centered, and James is not adjusted. Uh, the Heat game was a poster boy game, poster child game, where Jimmy Butler ripped him and got him got the ball cleanly. Then on the swipe after the ball was gone, hit James. James looking for the foul. There was no foul. Then there was when he goes down the lane and does his Euro skip through. Somebody probably taps the arm. And instead of finishing the layup, he opens his arms and lets the ball drop, which last year was an easy signal way to get a foul. But this year, the ref signal out of bounds Miami basketball. Um, James Harden is not playing well. He's an eh player right now. He's a good player right now, but they were expecting a superstar, all-star level player, above average all-star MVP high level player. He's not there. Um, he's attributing it to his hamstring not being 100% right now. And um, that's a that's a case. I'm not gonna sit here and say it's not the case. Uh, that is a case because um, he was dealing with it in training camp. So uh, we're gonna have to definitely see if that improves later in the season. The James Harden effectiveness. Uh, they have Kyrie Irving supporters jumping, you know, trying to bump run bum rush into the Barclays Arena um, with their with their anti-vax stances. A lot is happening in Nets land. Um, Blake Griffin's dunking. This is all kind of stuff is happening in um, Nets land. Uh, my next topic, the topic I, I mean, really the two topics I was going to say. Um, I mean, one of them still applies. Golden State being on fire was my next topic. And then the fire was doused by my early MVP favorite, way too early MVP favorite, John Morant. Uh, Jaws averaging something like 36 and 7 or something like that with the first few games. Um, and Golden State was on fire. Steph had 36 points entering the fourth quarter, including a crazy one foot three pointer that I posted all over everything. 
how could you not um it was absolutely insane it, it was one of those steph went back down the court laughing steve curry just shook his head like what what is this um and then steph curry finished the game with 36 points and they had an overtime in which the warriors scored three points in the overtime and lost because memphis was the younger stronger better team John Morant is making a case right now for MVP. But here's the bigger case John Morant's making. John Morant, more and more, is looking like the Peyton Manning to Zion Williamson's Ryan Leaf. He's looking like the Kevin Durant to Greg Oden. He's looking like the Michael Jordan to Sam Bowie. You get my drift here? I'm a Pelicans fan. I love Zion. But John Moran has now played basically twice the game Zion's played in his career. And they're only three. This is their entering their fourth, basically start of their fourth season. The first season of Zion's career was lost. It was the um, the bubble year. They entered their third season. Yeah, entering their third season. The first season Zion's career was lost. That was the bubble year. He was injured, coming out of training camp, played very few games, and then the bubble happened, which he barely played. Looked like a sell of himself, looked very overweight. Um had a couple of moments, but tell his basketball touch wasn't there. Last year, um, no, this is this is entering. This is the third season, because the bubble year, LeBron, Lakers won a championship, then the Bucks. Yeah, this entering their third season. Um, and so entering their third season, like I said, Jobs basically played twice the games because Zion didn't play all to last year. He hasn't played so far this year. Now, when Zion's on the court, he's 27 and 7, 3, 4 assists with 60% shooting. When he's on the court, he's insane. But the thing is, when he's on the court, Greg Oden on the court. Uh, There's a stat I saw a few uh, months ago where it was Greg Oden, Brandon Roy, and LaMarcus Aldridge, who was supposed to be the big three in Portland, never lost a game together, ever. They were like something like 18 and 0 or something like that, 19 and 0 when they played together. The problem is, they only played 19 games together in the, all three of them in the years they were actively on. Portland's roster. Zion Williamson is an amazing talent. He's a great player. I love him. I want him to be in New Orleans for a decade, decade and a half. I want him to start and finish his career in New Orleans as a elite level top 10 player, hopefully lead us to a championship. But he's got to get healthy. He's had a lot of lower leg injuries and he really started at Duke. When he blew out his uh, shoe, he was out for games and then he came back and then he hurt him, had a lower leg injury uh, his rookie year and now he's got a cracked foot. I think it was, it was a toe. Uh, when I got a cracked foot or a toe, it's like, man, it's injury after lower leg injury after lower leg injury. And he's so big and he's so explosive. And I don't know. People recommended he should call Charles Barkley. I still think he should call Charles Barkley. Talk to Chuck about what Chuck did to manage his weight um, and maintain his explosiveness. But back on topic with John Morant, he's making that pick look worse and worse. Because what would New Orleans kill for right now? A killer at guard. They don't have one. When Drew, they didn't I mean even when Drew was there, Drew wasn't a killer. Drew was a two-way great player, but he wasn't a killer. John Morant's a killer. John Morant and Brandon Ingram would terrify everyone every game. Because John Morant's doing what he's doing. His second best score is well, it was Jonas Valanciunas, but he's now a Pelican. So his second best score is whom? I definitely don't know. You know, I can't tell you who it's. I mean, Dylan Brooks, maybe like Kyle Anderson. Like, yeah, he, he doesn't really have a dependable second score and he's doing what he's doing. And so imagine if he had him with Brandon Ingram and now Jonas Valanciunas. 
that would be a very scary three. Um, but I mean, it's a situation where I think everybody went where they were supposed to go. John Morant has that tough grind city kind of mentality. Zion Williamson is used to being a big fish in a small pond. Think about it. He was king of social media from Spartanburg, South Carolina. Then he went to Duke. Big, big spot, big spotlight, but it's still Duke. It's not in a big city like LA. It's not in a big city like Miami. Not a New York City situation. It was Duke. And then he goes to New Orleans. Again, big fish in a small pond. So uh, I'm, I'm thinking that both people in the way they're supposed to be. Hopefully Zion gets healthy, stays healthy, and we can see this battle out west for 10, 15 years or out east if the expansion plans for the NBA goes well and then kick both teams east. Um, but this would be very interesting to keep our eye on. John Morant is absolutely rolling right now. Um, they probably should be undefeated. They probably should have beat the Lakers. Um, he missed a free throw late, but absolutely insane. And Chicago, my God, they're so explosive. It's ridiculous. Lonzo Ball. Man, just look, listen to their starting lineup. Or the four of the five of the starting lineup. I think Patrick Williams is the fifth starter. But Lonzo Ball, DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, Patrick Williams, and Nikola Vucevic. Three of those guys have been all-stars. Three of those guys have been number ones on their team. Lonzo Ball, obviously the number two pick in the draft. That team is remarkably explosive. Then you still bring an Alex Caruso off the bench. You still bring a Kobe White off the bench. That team is ridiculously explosive. Chicago is so much fun to watch. And a lot of teams are fun to watch this year. I'm finding myself watching everyone because everyone's fun to watch. Cole Anthony just went berserk for the Orlando Magic. Um, LaMelo Ball is incredibly exciting for the Charlotte Hornets. Um, the Clippers are having tons of exciting basketball with Paul George. No Kawhi Leonard right now. The Raptors are fun to watch. The rookies are making plays. Um... It's just it's great basketball right now, and it's not so many foul calls. The game is flowing. You have to have legitimate fouls, not manipulation fouls. It's so much fun to watch. So we're going to keep keeping our eye on the NBA, obviously. Their season is just underway. So humongous um, what's going down with uh, the NBA right now. But up next, we're going to shift to the World Series and talk about, so far, a great series between the Astros and the Atlanta Braves. Welcome into the show. Welcome in the best for last. We're going to have just a quick talk about the World Series. So as you guys know, I was wrong. I predicted the Dodgers would come back against the Braves. They did not. Uh, the Braves advanced to the World Series and crushed the Astros in game one, even doing it with a little bit of history. Um, they became the first. Uh, they had a guy hit a home run on the uh, opening um, on the opening at bat. Which is the first time in the 107 World Series that someone homered on the opening at bat of, of the World Series. So the, it was meant to be for the Braves that game. Dominated game one. Astros returned a favorite at home in game two. So now the series is going to shift to Atlanta. Um, the Braves I split series to be over by the time next week comes, next podcast comes. I predict the Astros will win the series. Um, talent has to win out eventually. So right now, Atlanta beat a more talented Dodgers team that they were injured. 
Um, Houston doesn't really have injury issues at the moment. Uh, actually, the Dodgers lost. Uh, not the Dodgers. The uh, Braves lost their ace or their game one starter due to a broken fibula. He pitched like 20-some pitches after he broke it. Um, but I am going to go with the Astros in this series. Um, win it 4-2. They're just a more talented team than the Braves. If the Braves were healthy, if they had, you know, Ronald Acunas Jr. and the rest of the crew, then I would say, oh, yeah, Braves probably going to win this series, especially because they already took home field. But eventually, talent has to win out. Uh, the Astros are used to being here. Uh, they're, they're in their third World Series in five years after, you know, five straight AOCSs. They are used to being here. Now, they don't have their full complement of the previous fours because they don't have Carlos Correa anymore. He moved on. But... They are used to being in this position. They're used to winning. Uh, like I said, if I, I, I'm going to go with the Astros to win this series. They're just a more talented baseball team. And eventually, talent has to win out. Um, Tampa Dodgers. Dodgers were the more talented team. Tampa had the better cohesive organization, in my opinion. Dodgers are more talented. They won the series um, last year. So, in my opinion, Atlanta is probably the more cohesive team because they don't really have their healthy superstar. But... The Astros have the better talent. So I'm going to go with the Astros to win the series 4-2 to two and to wrap up a great baseball season. But that is all we have for today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, thank you for making me part of your weekend, part of your Friday. Um, remember, follow the social media handle at Jayton Sports. That's Instagram, that's Twitter, that's TikTok, and that is Facebook. All four of them should pull up. And don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe, and tell your friends about the podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Now, I hope you have a great rest of your day. This is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.